Hey everyone, Kevin from the Rooting Around podcast here. We're on a short summer break, so we're going to be back next week. But in the meantime, we've gone back through the archives to an episode recorded right in the peak of lockdown. We cover some wildlife, filmmaking, and some stories from the road. Ladies and gentlemen, and everything in between, I give you Christopher Beard. Okay, Mr. Christopher Beard. Thanks for coming on to the Crude Nature podcast, man. It's been a while. How are you getting on? Yeah, very good. No, it's an absolute pleasure to be here. This is my first podcast. So what can I say? Oh, it's your very first. Oh, lovely. Well, yeah. I'm glad to uh, to pop your cherry, mate. It's a uh, it's a pleasure. Um, so, Chris and I go back uh, a few years. We we did a bit of work together back in. I think it was 2017, wasn't it? Was it was that the first year you were on it? Or 16. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, the adventurists, right? Yeah. So Chris was Chris was basically filming um, filming the Mongol Rally from start to finish, tracking some of the teams along the way, and I was I was managing the event, and then we converged at the end and became very good friends and have worked together since. Um, and it turns out we grew up in the same town. We know a bunch of the same people, and we didn't realize until quite quite far into getting to know each other. Um, but yeah, Chris, what have you been up to since the Mongol Rally 20, 2016? Because I, I presume that was kind of your first foray into travel film and whatnot. yeah, yeah, pretty much, yeah. Um, yeah, the adventures kind of kickstarted it for me. Um, sorry, shall I say that again? Because I just realised that I've left my phone on the. Uh, How fun! Sorry. Are you? I guess you can fine. cut this, right? Have I just... No, no, it's all staying in. It's all staying in. This it's is, how, uh, in. This is uh, how Chris behaves on set, by the way. Just... Scatterbrain. I'm like a... I'm like a shotgun that shoots shit straight into a fan. <laughs> <laughs> Spreads it everywhere. Sorry, anyway. <clears throat> Back in the game. Okay. <laughs> the adventurous. Yeah, no, you guys kind of kick-started it for me. It was... Um, uh, actually, Jules, Jules Ingram, if you're listening and out there, Shout called me Jules. up. <laughs> called me up and said, "Oh, uh, hey, Chris, another guy dropped out. Do you want to do the Mongol Rally?" <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't even get in for my skills. I got in by luck. <laughs> Are you available? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Absolutely. You got the job. <laughs> I'm, I'm in. <laughs> anyway, yeah, and. Um, yeah, since then, I think the adventurous just sort of, uh, you guys sent me all over the world, shooting lots of stuff, had quite a bit of responsibility for some reason. Don't know how that happened. Ended up uh, directing and, and shooting these uh, episodes for this uh, adventurous series. Yeah. So I think that's all I can say. Um, and then after that, uh, that kind of stopped. And um, a good friend of mine, Alex, who was also working with me in the Mongol Rally, um, Keith, um, we started working on some projects, going to really weird and wonderful places, making documentaries. Uh, and then I think I did a little stint in Ukraine trying out the uh, war photography thing yeah that looked bonkers um, we've, we've not really spoken about that because i know uh you went out there with sam right sam lees sam lees yeah um, also... yeah what were you guys doing out there because that looked well, terrifying mm, yes um yeah it was to be honest <laughs> yeah. with you 
<laughs> yes, yes, it was very scary. Um, yeah, not, it's definitely not for me. But it was interesting. We we worked with we were working with um, uh, frontline volunteers and uh, medics in um, in the yeah Donbass region, basically right next to the airport, um, Donetsk airport. Basically, you could see it. Um, so yeah, we were sort of. I think we were shelled a few times. Um, we were in trenches, uh, just getting shot at. Um, I nearly had my eardrum blown out by machine gun fire. <laughs> this huge rail gun, this guy just started blasting, I guess, yeah, separatist forces about 200 meters away. And uh, my ear just happened to be right next to the gun. Just, <laughs> yeah, it was bad. So, yeah, Did they let you shoot anything? Yeah, it was terrifying, yeah. Rise on tanks, that was quite good fun, I must say. Did you get to shoot um, any guns? We didn't know. We did ask quite a few times. <laughs> Can I have a go? <laughs> Can I have a go on the go? <laughs> it's really dumb. Really dumb photographers. So yeah, we did that. Um, made a few films. Um, Realised I never, ever want to do that line of work. I don't have enormous respect for the people who do it. Um, no respect, maybe. Um, what's the word? Not respect. Maybe, what's the word? How would you describe it? There's a, there's a form of admiration where it's like, you've got the balls to go out and do that, but you're kind of stupid doing it because you're hey. just going to get killed. <laughs> That's exactly it. Yeah. I'm a wordsmith, yeah. man. That's... <laughs> That's the one. Yeah, you'd sort of like, great, great that you did that, but I'm not going for a pint with you. Kind of yeah. yeah. Uh, good so good yeah. job from afar. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. From afar. With binoculars. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, absolutely. Chris, when you're out there, good job from afar. Good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, and, yeah, it's, it's a good talking point, but I would never go back, never do that sort of thing again. So. Yeah, that's, that's fair enough. Tick the box and you can say you've done it and, uh, yeah. and got the T-shirt. That's it. And then uh, I think just after that, just sort of for the past few years, just realised natural history is uh, really where my heart has always been. And I was just yeah. been trying to work my way back to that, really. Because it, it, it took a while for us to kind of discover that we were both bird nerds. And then yeah. it was like, yeah. Chris, Chris has some binoculars too? I don't know <laughs> anyone my age with binoculars. <laughs> uh, absolutely. Oh, my God. My girlfriend is so sick and tired of me, like, trying to find... I'm always trying to spot gold crests. And, you know, they're, like, really small and really yeah, difficult to spot. I love seeing them. Oh and god, yeah. Just... I I get super excited when I see him as well. Like when I was doing the, the stuff up in North Wales, um, it was the first one I saw in about ten years, and I lost my shit. And I was like, "Oh my god!" Ran off into the woods on my own, and everyone was like, "What? What, what did you see?" I was like, "Oh, it's like one of the smallest birds in the UK." And they're like, "Oh, all right." <laughs> Cool story, bro. Needs more dragons. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Yeah. I don't know what it is about those little gold crests. I love them. I just whenever I see them, little, little like tweety sound they're making. And yeah. then you just, just get that little gold fleck on the head. It's great. Yeah, but it wicked. takes ages to spot them because they're just so small. So. Are you doing the, the bird watch on the weekend? Uh, it, no, I'm not. Great British bird watch? Oh, no, you're not going to be uh, here. No. Um, I used to love doing that as a kid. Yeah, we've, we've already got our um, we got some window cleaner, so we can clean it up. We've started packing out the feeders. We've started getting a fucking sparrowhawk in our garden almost every day, and we live in no the centre of Bristol. What? 
Um, so we've got so we've got a bird feeder at the back, um, and we saw it. And we, <laughs> I had a washing basket upside down outside in the garden because I'm an animal and I just <laughs> leave stuff out there. And I <laughs> I looked and there was just a sparrowhawk sat on it about a meter away from my window, and then it just flew wow. up into the tree and it stayed there for about an hour, just surveying, preening itself, and yeah, no way. lost my mind. But we've seen it. Um, we've seen it a couple of times like catching a sparrow and stuff and um there was one time that because we like basically our back door opens out into our garden and that's our front door and back door and you have to go through our garden to get into the house and we often leave it open on a hot day and there was one day that we were just sat there and a pigeon just walked in and (laughs) (laughs) like sweet all right and it was it was so confident that it was like okay i think there's something wrong with this bird <laughs> and it, this story Squatter. gets really fucking dark actually <laughs> it was, we took it in overnight and i was feeding it and it started looking okay and we let it go for a little wander around the garden and then oh, no. when it was wandering around i looked at the back of the garden and there was just a sparrow hawk about four <laughs> meters away from it just like glaring at it you know the piercing yeah. hawk eyes and i went out and i was like ah shoo shoo bird <laughs> and uh and then I walked over to the to the pigeon and I was like seeing if it was okay. And then it started having a seizure and then died in my hands. <laughs> oh my god. It was Ev. awful. Awful. And as as a as a fully fledged epileptic, that was like a real like I walked back in and I had it in my hand and I looked at Amanda. I was like, I just saw the life leave this animal. <laughs> it, was, it was so dark. But and I, sh- I probably so should have just left it for the sparrowhawk, to be honest. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that is a savage story. That's got to be said. I mean, that was, that was brutal. That, I didn't think I'd ever bring that out. Um, but I kind of love, you know, oh, you know, you sort of every now and again, you'll see a sparrowhawk take a bird. And it's, it's like, so all you see is that little flash. And you, you, you've, already, you've already seen that sparrow. And you're looking at it and it's like, oh, it's a nice little sparrow, you know. It's lovely to see a little sparrow. And then it's just that like puff, isn't it? Just and there's just a couple feathers. of feathers floating. <laughs> it's like a cartoon. <laughs> just insta kill. Yeah. Unbelievable. Whoa. Terrifying. Whoa. There's that. There's that really good sequence. I'm not sure. It was a, a UK natural history series where it was clearly like a a captive bird that they were getting to fly in really cool patterns. And some of the camera movements, they were flying. It was like super high speed, and they were tracking alongside the bird as it was flying along along a fence and it's just awesome um wow yeah, amazing birds super cool yeah, so we're, they, we're absolutely are, buzzing that we uh, get them in the garden yeah. that's that's amazing all, all i get actually i mean this is really nerdy I, it's another it's one of the tit family i do like a good tit um the uh long tail tit my get, man like, <laughs> favorite bird <laughs> such a good bird isn't it just uh, yeah, they they sit in a tree just literally outside my window, and uh, yeah, that just makes me happy every day. They look like cartoon animals as well. They do. They really do. Aren't they? Yeah, my little lollipops. So, <laughs> so your bird nerd- nerdiness has now developed, and you've kind of started wading in. To you're not even dipping your toes, man. You've you've gone full in on your wildlife uh, filmmaking mm. now, and honestly, like. I didn't know what you were doing. I tried to decipher what you were doing over the, over the last few months. 
And it really like surprised me because we'd been talking about it over the last couple of years about you dabbling and doing, because I know you're doing work for the RSPB in Wales, weren't you? Uh, yes, yeah, I do a little bit of uh, good work. And then um, all of a sudden you're in the mountains in the middle of nowhere, snowy mountains, clearly somewhere not here. Central Asia was my, was my guess. And, uh, and yeah, what were, you, what were you doing out that way? Um, yeah, so basically I've been, um, I've been really lucky to be honest with you. Um, I was just looking for a project to do over lockdown, I guess. And, uh, you know, I met, so basically, yeah, I met someone who, um, who's a producer and presenter and wanted to do something about snow leopards. Uh, and we basically had some really good connections with the Snow Leopard Trust and I uh, wanted to do an expedition to find, see if we could find and see snow leopards in the wild. Um, I won't tell you what happens, but, uh, you know, it's definitely worth, definitely worth a watch. Uh, so there'll be, yeah, that, that's uh, coming out on BBC Earth. Uh, possibly mid-February, March time, I think. Nice. Um, so it's definitely one to watch. But yeah, you know. Um, and BBC Earth is the, that's the online channel that that's they it. put out mm. some, it's pretty like, for online content, it's pretty top tier quality really, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, I was super, you know, incredibly um, happy to go from filming Garden Birds to, uh, you know, hunting down uh, s- snow leopards in, in Kyrgyzstan for BBC Earth, you know. One of the most yeah. elusive predators <laughs> on the planet. Like, one of the coolest. That is, you yeah. know, if, if you're after seeing some kick-ass predators, they're, they're quite close to the top, I think. Yeah, they're, they're incredible animals. I mean, because I, I thought they were small. I thought they were pretty, like, a kind of bigger than a domestic cat. I don't know why I thought that. And then, you know, we saw, uh, like, well, we saw a captive one initially, and they're massive. They're huge. That is like such, <laughs> mate. I would not want to be chased by one of those things. That would destroy. They'd literally, you. be able to chase you up a wall, though. Like up a wall. <laughs> seeing them hunting was it? Is it? I I don't know what the the big horn are. They ibex, a type of ibex, ibex or something. Yeah, and actually, that they've got like a, they do something really amazing. The stand up is they they think. This is how they partly how they hunt is when they what they do is they perch themselves up really high on really high ridges like cliffs literally on cliffs uh, there's no other way to describe it and uh, they'll watch and wait for this, the ibex to sort of come below them I guess and they just jump they run down or jump nearly nearly always straight off a cliff and they'll jump onto the back of the ibex and uh they'll usually at that point have broken the ibex's back you know probably dead that's so that's like a really good kill um but then obviously that momentum keeps the ibex moving and usually off off cliffs and you you often see the snow leopard hunts they're flying off i mean there's an incredible video of a, a snow leopard flying off a mountain attached to an ibex and because they're so agile they can kind of crawl around the ibex mid air and then when <laughs> when the ibex hits the ground you know it takes all the impact so then definitely oh you know kills it. i mean it's absolutely crazy these cats are nuts and uh yeah so they, there you go just so that's a, a partly how they kill is just basically kick them off a mountain and, and ride the way down they're like 
the they are they're like a cushion surfboard thing that's 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 insane because they always obviously cats always land on their feet but not all cats land on their feet with an ibex underneath them (laughs) (laughs) these guys always land on their ibex (laughs) are they are they are they like solitary solitary cats then pretty much although you know so what we were doing was sort of following uh, some of the scientists who were um, putting down camera traps. And so we got to have a look at, look at quite a lot of the camera trap footage. Uh, and you'd often see, um, you know, three or four leopards in one shot. Um, wow. So maybe you'd have one clip with two snow leopards coming past and then straight after that, another two. Um, so they are solitary, but sometimes like things like the cubs will hang around their mothers for a long time for years on end um and all sorts but uh, you'd see a lot and they do this in this particular place like you would see one spot where they, they all come basically it's like a, a pissing spot they all go in you know it's like the local notice board and they basically just everything like, not just snow leopards like bears wolves you know we'll use the same post and go and have a little scratch and a piss on it Really? Sniff. Yeah, yeah. And you'll just see everything there, like, you know, um, you know, hundreds of snow leopard prints, um, you know, wolf prints, bear prints, even a marmot. You get marmots like, oh, oh Gary's been down here. <laughs> Give me the bear. <laughs> Those marmots, yeah. man, they're they're pretty uh rough little things. They're super cute, but did you hear about what uh what happened last year in Mongolia with, with marmots? <laughs> the plague. The, the plague. plague. <laughs> evil. Oh, mate. <laughs> that's what, revenge. Apparently that's what Genghis Khan used to do. They used to block off a city and just fling dead stuff that was plagued into the city. Oh, man. Genghis Khan. I'm going to need a fact check on that, but... No, I think you. I think I think you're pretty. You, you know, I've, I yeah, I, I'd agree with you there. He was uh, considered, isn't he? Considered the first guy to use uh, chemical warf or biological yeah. warfare. Yeah, yeah. What a piece of shit. Well, a piece. Of, he was a piece of shit. <laughs> he was such a piece of shit. You, learn, you think about the world of a piece pieces of shit. He was. I'm, right I'm up there. where, because obviously you've spent time in Mongolia. I spent a little bit time there as mm. well they seem to kind of revere him because he was a badass and don't get me wrong that statue south of ub is it's one of the most impressive statues i've ever seen uh it's, but, yeah but why yeah i it's a weird one isn't it it's, it's, would it be like the germans celebrating hitler you know <laughs> maybe in like maybe in 200 sorry I'm 200 years man. maybe like 200 years the germans were like oh, hitler was amazing yeah, um, but it's like sort of. I was I was reading I was I was reading something about it. Um, I guess because it's so far in the past. That was it. They were, this one guy was saying the book that no one could write at the moment, but will be written in three or four hundred years, is the good things that Hitler did, and it's because the history, the our, you know, because in four hundred years, for example, there'll be no historical connection to us now. Yeah, so no living memory. Kind totally of thing. disconnected from the pain of World War Two yeah. and, and everything that went with it. Um, well, we're getting close to it now, man. That's you know, <laughs> it's it's nearly 
well, everyone who was in the Second World War, they're nearly uh, nearly gone. Bonkers. Yeah, they're gone. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, it's a, it's a crazy one. So yeah, I yeah, the the I don't know. Yeah, the Mongolians they love Genghis Khan. Yeah, he did some amazing things. I mean, this is what I'm saying. It's like he did do some amazing things. But he did, yeah, he did. I I I don't know a lot of the good stuff that he did. I I like the the postal system thing that that they did. Yeah, they did that with the derby, didn't they? That's it. And he I mostly mean, killed millions of people. I mean, yeah. that's mostly why he did because that was his best skill i think and he slept with a hell of a lot of women as well isn't it like one i've heard various numbers on this but it's like one in 20 people or something are related to genghis khan or there's some ridiculous figure that i will have to look up and interject right here what are the real figures kevin um yeah it's a massive one Yeah. yeah well Good, good apparently, apparently he was ginger. Oh, a ginger Mongolian. I don't believe it. Yeah, it's uh, no joke. Honestly, there's quite a bit of evidence to suggest that he might have had ginger. Uh, it's like, um, like here in the UK, you know, um, like Caucasian people will have ginger hair, for example. Um, and this is the same, this can be the same for, for nearly any race. It's just a particular um, sort of pigment in, in the hair. Um, wow. Yeah. Shit, son. I know, yeah, there's some evidence to say that he was, he was ginger. As the Aussies would say, Genghis, mean, Genghis was a fucking ranger. Have you heard <laughs> that? Have you heard that <laughs> phrase for gingers out in Australia? Uh, yeah. yeah call them rangers that's no, yeah. that is Gangs. quite derogatory it sounds rangers. a lot more derogatory than calling someone a ginger that's yeah well we maybe we can call genghis a ranger call him a ranger yeah maybe shout out to genghis um uh, <laughs> so <laughs> is there so from your nerdiness over the over the years is there any particular behavior that stands out that particularly impresses you or sickens you or makes you laugh is there anything that stands out that is particularly incredible um i one of i think one of my uh probably my i don't know it's definitely the most intriguing um is the uh the insane penguins i'm not really sure if this is a particular necessarily an actual behavior herzog Werner herzog says it really well in his uh, documentary um, yes the one who has uh, the cartoon german yeah. accent yeah i love it the, the cartoon he's like uh, we can <laughs> is it possible that uh, the penguins would become deranged <laughs> and the scientist is like <laughs> I don't know about. He's like, what? What did you just ask me, Herzog? And he, the scientist says, well, there is possible. You know, possible. We've seen these penguins in the colonies that will basically just walk off thousands of miles into the interior, and no matter what the scientists do, they will. Even if they try and turn them around to go back to the colony or go to the sea, the penguin will turn around on the spot and go straight back to the to the interior. And then we'll just die. It's wow. totally like, yeah. So they, you know, uh, and the protocol is to not 
stop the penguins is to not do not disturb the penguin the penguin wants to go to the interior or to wherever wherever it wants um so Herzog asked the question you know do the penguins go insane uh living in the colony forever and decide that they want to disappear off into the interior that's bonkers that's mad what do you what do you think they would do that for do you think it's like a self-cull or something like that that I have no idea. I've, I've sort of, I, I didn't really look much into it, only because I just love the way Herzog explains it. Because yeah. It's so completely mad. Um, I just kind of always want it to just be missing Herzog tries to explain. Um, yeah, t- type it, you know, if you want to find out, Nihilist Penguin by Herzog on YouTube. Is it a film? No, it's just a clip, a clip from, um, oh, I can't remember the name of the documentary, Something at the End of the World, um, and a brilliant um, documentary. Um, I'm definitely going to watch that. Antarctica. Yeah, it's great. Honestly, it's a brilliant documentary. Definitely recommend it. And Herzog, all the way through, is um, entertaining in his own right. It's just a guy's, a, guy's incredible. So. He's amazing. And I mean, he's he's asking a very valid question because penguins are they're bonkers. That some of them do the most disgusting behaviour. I'm not sure if you've read up on or heard about. Is it a day? I don't know how to pronounce it. Adeli or Adeli penguins? They're they're really cute. They're really small. But um, yeah, there was. Uh, George Levick, I think his name is. Uh, he, it's one of the behaviours in the book. But they have sex with everything. It's their wives, children's, husbands, dead children, cousins. They'll fuck anything. Absolutely anything. Uh, Amazing. And I don't really know why. But that was... So I think he was the first person to kind of witness the full mating cycle of, of the penguin. And he thought it was too horrible and unbelievable to bring back and report it to <laughs> to report it to the sciences people back in back in England and uh, so he hid his research in ancient greek text oh my god wow and i i don't know what year it but it was far more recently than it should have been it was released or translated and people were like oh these penguins are fucking horrible <laughs> super horny yeah (laughs) i mean i mean maybe you would be if if you basically your daily job was to dodge killer whales catch fish and then come back to incessant noise yeah and terrible weather weather's awful (laughs) weather's awful oh the neighbors oh my god windy today isn't it (laughs) that's it down so bloody cold um so yeah, yeah so, penguins penguins do turn insane do turn insane <laughs> yeah, um, watch that talk. it's great i love it yeah love definitely it. going to i love werner herzog he was the one who made grizzly man wasn't it yes, he made grizzly yes. man yeah that was i kind of feel sorry for that guy who died during the making of it but he definitely asked for it. I'm pretty sure he actually asked the bear, can you kill me and eat me, please? 
Yeah, I mean, he d- he did. It was sort of almost a documentary, almost says in some ways, doesn't it? It's like yeah. you're, you know, you're playing with fire. But it's that, I think Herzog says it brilliantly or something. He says, when you look into the dead uh, abyss of the bear's eyes, you see, no- <laughs> you see nothing but food and murder or something along those lines. Yeah, <laughs> this brilliant Herzog. I, there's there's this one clip that I'll never get out of my mind is when he's like, it's when they're hunting the salmon in the river and there's probably a thousand bears on each side and there's another thousand in the middle of the river and he stood there with his shirt off and one comes too close and starts looking aggressive. He's like, hey, no, stop it. It's <laughs> <laughs> brilliant. Whoa. Uh, All right. Sorry, man. I better go back and go get myself some salmon. That's it. Uh, so you could just see all the bears are looking at him like, I'm not going to eat him because there might be something wrong. <laughs> <laughs> like that pigeon. The pigeon yeah. might have this virus or something, so I'm not going to eat it. Yes. <laughs> That's it. Even the sparrow hawk was like, um, I'll, I'll leave that one, I think. <laughs> yeah. Pass. Hard pass. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No. So... Bird nerd, how did how did you, what what first got you into wildlife, uh, from the start? Because people now in the industry, they have so many different ways of coming in. There's there's people that used to be farmers that have kind of realised their their wrongdoings and trying to you know educate people from from that end and trying to get people to change their diet. And some people just grew up being nerdy. I didn't give a shit about animals until I was about eighteen. And then I saw a documentary and I was like, oh shit, animals are cool, man. They're super cool. Um, It was sharks that got me into it, actually. Uh, Yeah, you love sharks, don't you? I do love sharks, mate. But what got got you into it? Um, I think my, I think, I guess my dad got me into it. I really just, I don't know, became obsessed with birds as a kid. I used to be part of this thing called the YOC is like the young ornithologists club it's basically like yeah honestly mate if there was someone you wanted to pick on in school it was me like i totally <laughs> I would like, have, i totally would have beaten you up oh, everyone everyone <laughs> just like oh my god look at him <laughs> look at him with his binoculars <laughs> oh my god that kid just told me about gold crests beat the shit out of him <laughs> um, <laughs> honestly it was brutal but, you know, I love them so much. I do the, uh, you know, the, the big garden bird watch. And uh, I think I'd get like, you know, a hundred blackbirds and then, you know, like 10 sparrows. And I'd be like, yes, great Wonder. day. Wow. Oh, making science. Um, but then I actually just kind of completely, when I, you know, basically I went to school. I think actually getting picked on loads. He stopped me liking it. Wow. I completely left that kind of the, the world, that, that side of life. And then uh, went on this really crazy old ride uh, through my second puberty, which I would call my 20s. And, um, and then ended that's up when managing. That's when your stash grows out. That's it. That's it. And then I was like, right, I think I've just got to, I love birds again. This, this is a I great accessory for my binoculars. <laughs> yeah, I definitely won't get beaten up with this anymore. <laughs> Man, kids are fucking uh, dickheads, aren't they? Jesus. Uh, yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong, I definitely would have made fun of you. 
Um, oh, I was man, one of those people that could get away with making fun of people because I was somewhat bullied myself. But I right. was like, I wasn't on the cooler end of the spectrum, but I just didn't care. <laughs> but, <laughs> I just didn't care. Yeah. Um, I, think, I think I was like the Timothy Treadwell of school, basically, <laughs> telling the bullies, be like, hey, no, stop it. <laughs> when you're looking towards the no eyes way. of a student in year seven, <laughs> you'll see nothing but murder. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was the other brilliant Herzog quote. When you look into the eyes of a chicken and you see the cold, flat stupidity. <laughs> Sorry, it's one of my favorite Herzog quotes. <laughs> I'm going to have to get back into Herzog, like man. I never quite get them right. Oh, sorry, back to Herzog. I can't help it. I love really it, man. Going to have to get back into it. So now you've fully immersed yourself into the wildlife industry. Do you think this is this is like you've done you obviously you've done bits and bobs for the RSPB. Is is this project that you're working on now the, the kind of biggest and uh most exciting project you're on? Um at the so the yeah, the Snow Leopard one was I mean it was definitely the most exciting thing I've done. And um, we are actually going out in fact um in a in a few days to, to Guyana to a, to um do a whole new expedition, uh, which I can't say anything about. But um, uh, yeah, that's probably going to be the biggest thing I've ever done. Um, I'd say at the moment I'm still, you know, it's like a mix. Uh, the adventures gave me the expedition kind of expertise to direct and shoot. Um, so it's a lot of shooting people, but with what I'm doing at the moment, I'm getting to shoot a lot of natural behavior, which is what I've always wanted to do. Um, <clears throat> And so, yeah, it's a nice mix at the moment. And then at some point, I think basically I'll be an expedition, you know, that, well, that's what I am, is an expedition uh, director and cameraman, but I also shoot natural history. Uh, so it's just, that's my... Shit, that's my yeah, game. man. That, that's, a, that's a dream. It's a dream job. That is, you know, anyone who wants to pick up a camera, that's like, that's where they want to get to, man. Congrats. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, it's not, it's great. It is a great job. Yeah, it's really good fun. Uh, but if it wasn't for the likes of, I think, to be honest, if it wasn't for the likes of the adventurists in a lot of ways and them giving me that opportunity and Jules, thank you, Jules, again. Thank you. You help me you, out. Jules. <laughs> <laughs> no, same here, man. Same here. It's, um, I'm obviously, I'm not doing anything to do with travel at the moment because mm. it's fully on its ass. Um, but yeah, it's it's it was it's an awesome springboard, man. It's because um, it's just so chaotic and on the fly. So I, yeah. I guess the experience you got shooting it was just unmatched. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, I mean, um, the adventurist, you know, their adventures are yeah absolutely bonkers, and they mm. really do. Um, yeah, create chaos, really. Right? Yeah, that's man. That's the best way to put it. And then just put you into the craziest. But I mean, you know, you must have had some absolutely mad stuff happen to you over the years working with those guys. Whenever yeah. I turned up to a place, you always looked like very stressed. Yeah, man. <laughs> so much going on. And I always be like, oh, okay. My eyes <laughs> actually looked like a normal size when I was working on adventurous events. I've, I've got the smallest eyes 
the tiny eyes of a shrew. <laughs> right. But when I'm working, I actually look like a normal person. Yeah, that's it. the fear, man. It, and it, it took me three, four years to get comfortable in that chaos. And then the last two years, I was just like, nothing's bothering me. Take the, yeah. take, take the main Mongol rally stage down on the main weekend, take it down and put it somewhere else in the city. <sighs> Again? All right. <laughs> no worries. Yeah, because I remember some of the like last events. I think like, you know, even I remember what was it that one in Morocco, the monkey run in Morocco, when like, uh, like the bikes didn't turn up, and and, <laughs> and I turned know, up with what this. thirty or forty mopeds. <laughs> they weren't <So>. used. <laughs> it's He's really cool to say that I came across a picture of me stood in the back of the truck like this, like taking a selfie <laughs> with all those bikes behind me. That, oh, that night was the scare. There's two terrifying modes of transport I've had and two for very different reasons. That one in Morocco was getting a taxi overnight from Marrakesh to the desert <laughs> with a taxi driver that I'd never met before. Didn't know him. And it's a, in a, in a normal journey, it's about 12 hours with this guy. It was nine. And you've got to bear in mind the route that you, you drive through the Atlas Mountains that don't have barriers either side of the road. And he was going around corners and I could hear that as the tires were skidding, going around the corners. And I had a bandana over my eyes and my noise cancelling headphones up full, just like hunched up in the back of the car. And I was like, please slow down. And then at about three in the morning, you hear, and I pull my thing off and he stopped in the middle of the road at night. And then he gets out and I hear him clip something back in and then stops, looks down and he's hit a dog in the middle of the night, drags it off the road, jumps back in the car and we carry on. And I didn't speak a lick of English. I speak a minimal amount of French. I'm just like, ah. Uh, Sacre bleu. Mon <laughs> dieu. Ah, mon cher. So that was, yeah, that was, um, that was a really interesting trip. And I, I recently wow. just came, came across all the pictures. Total PTSD, but I will, I, I was saying just the other day to my girlfriend that I now don't have that. You know that anxiety, like, I, I had it a lot when I was younger, that anxiety of like, you turn up to a new place and it's new and you've never experienced that kind of thing before. And I had that at the start of the Adventurists and I was just like, wow, and I still had that wide-eyed thing. But now I like, I'll turn up to the middle of nowhere at night and I'll be like, oh, this is a nice town. I go walk straight into a shop and start just waving my arms around and trying to figure out what's going on. I just don't have that anxiety anymore. Until yeah. you get, you know, driven around by borderline gangster in, in the middle of Russia. <laughs> yeah, that's it. There was one night with me and Tom that we, uh, we were checking out some venues and this guy is like, super nice guy. We've known him for years, but there's somewhat of a, a fearful respect for him because he was the man about town. And he was like, you guys need to come and see my club. We drive for about half an hour out of the city and we end up, it's a big warehouse 
there's four guys in leather jackets stood there all smoking cigarettes. Fortunately, Tom spoke Russian, but I turn up and there's lots of hushed tones talking to each other. And then they open and it's just a pitch black doorway. They're like, come in. I'm like, okay. We go in, all the lights are off. All the lights are off. We go into, you can hear this echo and we're just, it's all pitch black. The lights come on and we're just in the middle of this empty nightclub. They're like, you like it? And you guys can have this room. And there's like giant chandeliers and white leather sofas everywhere. And we're like, oh, okay. This, this is Russia summed up in the space of 10 minutes. It is. And then we got back on the way back. Then he uh, put on his favorite album, which was the Bee Gees. And Standard. drove about 60 miles an hour through a city. And then got us home and he was he wasn't sober let's say because <laughs> russia but um because he's a very russia. nice man and um yeah i i'm i'm sad that i'm not going to go back and see him at some point but that town is holds a giant place in my heart ulan ude may oh many a many a good night in that place many a Bonkers. good night yeah what good a times man place. Me and Tom, uh, I want to write a memoirs about it because just so much ridiculous stuff happened. Like we, <laughs> as Jack, the, we had a volunteer come out and help us and uh, it was the first time he's ever been to Russia and he didn't... So he went out on the first night with, with another mate of mine and I woke up in the morning. I, I don't drink, so I, was, I came back early and I, I woke up and he wasn't there. And I was like... First night, he's already pulled. Good work. And then two hours later, he comes in looking exhausted. And he ended up getting arrested for hopping a fence. <laughs> and they, they took him into the police station and then like sat him down. And then the police who arrested him kind of disappeared for a bit. And then the receptionist was like, why are you here? And he's like, I don't know. Can I have some water, please? No, 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 no. <laughs> and then an hour goes by and he's like sorry why am i here and they're like i don't know why are you here go, <laughs> go. i love it it's just so and he didn't he it? didn't know where we were staying he was just relying oh. on coming back with us so oh, guy, that's the that's a brilliant volunteer um, i mean he took it well took, took it, well. it well that's such a great introduction to russia i think because it's yeah. just such like I call it like the wild east because oh, it, it's just like it's like the USO USO sorry the USA in the wild west but just it's it, it's there right now you could go kind of go to the wild west yeah man but it's, it's mental it's, you want to shoot it. a gun you ask someone and they're like yeah I can I can get you a gun to shoot <laughs> no worries mate we'll go and shoot some bears well, well, no. which- which one do you want? <laughs> and they're always like these really big, like gruff men, you know, they're like super rough, you know, they, yeah. it looks like they, you know, they strangle men, you know, with their bare hands for fun. But you'd start talking to them and, you know, they'd take you down a dark alley and all they wanted to do was show you their, like, their house yeah, their baby their, pictures. Their album collection. <laughs> <laughs> That's it, yeah. They're like, come down here this so nice. I can get good lighting to show you a picture of baby. <laughs> Yeah, that's it. Oh, it's it. She's beautiful. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, my, I love my, it every time. My first moment 
that I had an interaction with a Russian in Russia was when I took part in the rally in 2013. And we crossed the border from, uh, from Crimea. It was about six months before it all kicked off. And we were lucky enough to drive through and it was super pretty and probably looked a bit nicer than when you were there, I presume. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, <laughs> we pulled up and we just got middle of nowhere and then we just got the red baton that you just saw come out of nowhere. Oh, yeah. And we're just like, oh fuck, what does this mean? And we pulled over, honestly, like middle of nowhere, one policeman waving the baton and uh, we sit there and we wind the window down and you just, you hear the slow footsteps of their Russian loafers. Just everyone yeah. wears the same shoes out there as well. Um, yeah. And he comes up to the car and sticks his head in and he's just like, hello, my name's Sasha. Why are you here? And we're just like, oh, oh. hey, Sasha, uh, we're doing this thing. And he's like, oh, it sounds great. And he starts chatting to us for about 20 minutes and then, you're at that point where you're like, okay, I want, I want to, I want to go find somewhere to go to sleep now. Can you, Sasha, just fuck off? <laughs> but he's just so yeah, eager because he's things. never seen like three idiots in a yeah. tiny car come over. So they were just buzzing to see us. But mate, I absolutely, absolutely. adore Russians. They're you know they are, they're like massive hippies, aren't they? Just yeah. giant hippies. They're... They just love meeting people. That's what I always find. They seem angry. And then when they realize you're not from around here, they're like, oh my God, come and see my entire family for two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> I, they get such a bad rap as well. They get such a bad rap yeah. all over the world. And I mean, Muscovites, people in like Western Russia, I've, I've not had great interactions with them, but obviously I'm not brushing all with the same brush. Um, but I like to see Russians as like Irish people with hard shells. You just crack the shell a little bit and then it's like, ah, come yeah. in, as, as you said. And they'll, they'll take you in and they'll feed yeah. you. Yeah, they is. will try and marry you off to their daughter. <laughs> like, absolutely adore them, man. They're, yeah. they're amazing. Yeah. And um, yeah, I've got to get back there. Such legends. Such legends. Yeah, they're the, the best. Yeah, the amount of uh, good Russians I've met and uh, the amount of vodka I've had because of <laughs> said hospitality. Dude, trying yeah. to not, not be a drinker in Russia oh, is like... I, I genuinely had to, just out of obligation, and the guy who even gave me the shot was like, just throw it like this, but you, you must do the, yes, cheers. And he was just like, just throw yeah. it over your shoulder. And I was like... That's a waste of vodka, but okay. So, mm, num, 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 num. <laughs> they, it's it's almost like I'm less of a man because I I don't drink out there. It's like yeah, you, whoa. Mm. Want to use some it, kind of you. sissy boy? We don't like that kind around here. <laughs> <laughs> hey, panda bear. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, speaking of panda bears, and I, I wanted to bring it up earlier, but I completely forgot when you were talking about marking territory. Have you seen how pandas do it? Oh, go on, hit me. I, I don't they, know. They do handstands. So they try and get <laughs> their piss up as high as they can on the tree. So it's not just about oh, marking man. it. They, they got to get it as whoever gets the highest is, is the, uh, well, it's like a, the biggest swinging dick. The, big, the biggest, like a status thing, isn't it? It's like... Yeah. Um, I got my fucking piss handstand. Take this shit out. 
Hey, Gary, can you get it this high? <laughs> no. Nerd. Nerd. <laughs> get back to bird watching, you nerd. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, obviously, with all the expedition stuff, I've, I've seen some, some of the trips that you've been on. I've seen your footage. Fucking top-notch, man. Super chuffed with how, how you're getting on with everything. Mm. So, up to this point, you must have had some ridiculous situations not even necessarily filming but i know you've worked with animals um both human animals and actual animals mm. is there any moments that particularly stand out in your memory that have altered you <laughs> in any way in any way there's definitely a few yeah um i mean a lot of them actually happens work you know working for the adventure so i think there's actually a um, a really good one. Um, um, on the first Mongol rally, I did, and I was filming, and I was alone. I was just filming uh, this um, crazy Canadian lumberjack who was in a Nissan Micra, the really old ones, really shit old ones. Um, and uh, amazing guy, absolutely incredible guy. Anyway, he was adamant that he wanted to drive across the Kazakh desert, but not through like basically there's a giant road that takes you right across it it's a bit wavy but it'll get you there you know this giant europe you know it's like the size of europe this thing but he didn't want to do that he wanted to drive pretty much as the crow flies um through the desert and this is like they're like dunes right they're like the and what he did is he looked on google maps on on the like satellite maps and he found a railway line that went straight through the desert and there was a tiny little construction track that went along the edge of the railway. And he was like, we're going that way. And there's no, there's nothing, no, nothing out there. It was like, we, he, we figured it was going to be five days of just straight driving with no city, nothing. Um, you know, no village and no one around. And we had to get from point A to point B. Uh, we had like tallies for like marking how much fuel we used. We had like tanks of fuel. We had like so much water, you know, they, we had rationed water, rationed food, everything. Um, and yeah, like I, I can remember now, you know, heading off into this sand and it, it's not even like sand, right? It's like, it's like dust. Just really fine, flowery I know exactly dust. what you're talking about. The stuff that just gets in your teeth and like yeah. you yeah, just yeah. can't get it out. That's it. And it's it, like talcum it, powder, but tastes like shit. Well, I mean, talcum powder tastes like shit as exactly. well. But like, oh god, yeah. That's I know the, I know the, I know the stuff. It's brutal. And I think there's, I think um, I've got a few clips somewhere of, of us in the car. Um, and the dust, sand, dust, stuff, whatever it is, is maybe, it's like, it, it's like kind of going over the wheels. So it's like, it's almost like a sea of sands that we're like swimming through. And then every now and again, you get like a big old Kamaz, which is like a big Russian truck that would come past and you're just driving into the interior of this desert. And I was, to be honest, it was the first time, you know, and I've done some really crazy shit. And that was one time I thought, I'm not sure if we're going to make it out of this. I don't know if we will, because it was like 50 degrees. Um, don't fuck with you know, Kazakhstan in the summer, man. Jesus. Exactly. And it's just it's just dunes, you know, like dunes of sand and a Nissan Micra for you know not even it's not. Most people would say this thing isn't even roadworthy. 
you know, it was a really small shit car. But this thing got four days in. We got four days just driving down this little dirt track, digging our way out of sand dunes and pushing the car. And, you know, it was pretty hectic. And then we got stuck in one dune and the wheel completely sheared off. So we just yeah, completely sheared off. Nothing, you couldn't do anything about it. So we're now in the desert with one day, one day's more water. Um, thinking, yeah, okay, so now we've got to walk. Now we've got to walk the rest of the way. Uh, so he decided to just like pack a bag and get trekking down the railway, right? Because that's that's all we had. And um, did you have did you have a little? It was like a little thing on a stick. Was it like a little napkin on a stick? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Me like furiously writing my diaries like, if someone ever finds this, <laughs> maybe I'll love you. That kind of shit, yeah. Um, and we ended up, yeah, we're walking, just walking for hours and hours down this railway track, hoping, hoping to find the train. Because there was a train, the big old cargo train that would come through um, every now and again, another, I used to love that train, honestly, I know, sorry, it's a small segue, you get these big cargo trains, and I'd see this thing, and I'd be like, the train is here, I, I don't know, I've got a thing for cargo trains, sorry, segue, forget what I just No said. wonder you got bullied at school, trains and birds. Oh, it, trains and birds. You were literally yeah. asking for it. Asking for it, <laughs> Timothy Treadwell. <laughs> Timothy Treadwell. You weren't far off, but that those, that train must have felt like a savior. Well, yeah, I mean, it kind of did initially because it would come past like basically it would come past once a day, so we knew at some point this train would come past, but it can't stop because it's an enormous cargo train. They don't. It's not like they're like, oh look, <laughs> there's some people on the tracks. So I'll just stop. It's like, <laughs> mate, I can't. St- I couldn't stop if I tried. Like, yeah. get out of my way, choo choo. I'm off. Um, so the train's gone and um, you know it was cool to be near it and just watch it and stuff and we had these like kind of like with our t-shirts around our face and stuff to stop all of the dust and the heat because it was just it was something out of Mad Max anyway we keep we keep walking down this train track and there's an old lady there's an old lady on the train track does she have a spare wheel well (laughs) you wouldn't believe this <laughs> so we were, wheel, but we were like, oh my god, there's this person here. Um, so we tried to explain to her what had happened, and and it was this ridiculous situation where you're trying to speak to some, this person's already confused. They don't know who, what the <laughs> hell you are doing here, and how you've managed to get here. And on top of that, you're speaking a language they don't understand. And then you're trying to explain to them that you've got a Nissan Micra, some like you know, 20 miles away and its wheels come off and you need a truck to come and pick you up. Like that's a complicated series of, you know, bit of information you need to get across. But yeah, we, you know, eventually we explained to her that we, our car was broken and it needed fixing. Machina. Broken cars in the sand and you just looking like, okay, I think I'm just going to run away. Genuinely thought you were aliens. That's it. It's like, oh my god! <laughs> they, they have a oh, what was it? No, there's the big rocket base, isn't there? Yes, Soyuz, um, a space, not space station, launch center rocket, thing. Rocket, yeah, the Russian space, version. Ro- rocket space. Soyuz. Yeah, check it out. It looks like 
it's kind of like a looks really cool yeah it's like a flower kind of anyway um yeah so he this lady was like oh don't worry guys it's all good i've got a i've got a little cabin over here um that maybe these guys these these guys over here can help and we've like wandered off into the desert like again just wandering seem it seemed like we were going nowhere and out of nowhere there's this little construction cabin there's like three guys in there and they're like oh my god wow look at this it's funny this we've got dinners out dinners ready we've got some some vodka what do you guys need we're like oh, we really need you to make a phone call actually <laughs> It's again explaining all in in like uh, like broken Russian and little bits of sign language, and eventually they were like, "Oh, you need a really big truck to come out here and pick your car up and take you to town." We're like, "Yeah, we do." He's like, "Cool, I know a guy, of course," and he was like, "It's going to cost you two hundred dollars," and this basically he was like, "It's going to take a while to get here, maybe a day or two." And we were like, cool, yeah, well, we'll just chill here then. And, you know, they, they put us up in that little cabin and, um, and gave us loads of food. And then eventually this giant monster truck turns up, one of those huge Kamaz, but with a skip, basically a skip on the back. Right? <laughs> it was an actual skip. Yeah, <laughs> taped to the back. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, I saw this thing and I was like, well, I mean, the Nissan Micro deserves to go in the skip. Yeah. And we'll fit in the skip. Um, and yeah, so this thing turns out we jump in the in the skip. Actually, did just jump in the skip and and guided him to where we thought the car was because we couldn't quite remember because we were quite far away by this point where the where the car was. And they yeah just turned up at the car. Little crane comes down, put the 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 Nissan Micro and the wheel back into the skip or the truck, and then drove for. We then had to sit in the actual Nissan Micra in the back. I've never felt so ill. It was like the bumpiest, dustiest, oh, shitty ride. I, I'm just, honestly, it was it was really difficult. And then, yeah, that was a full day. And we got back to town and the car, I mean, it was trash in the first place. But by this point, I mean, it was totally Game fucked. over. Was game, game over. Oh, wow. Then, yeah, but we, yeah, we got the car fixed and we got it to Mongolia. Fuck. Yeah, um, that man, over that way, it's almost like they're suspiciously helpful. Yeah. I always feel yeah. like the whole time, I, I don't know what it is, even though I've, I've worked out there and reliable people, there's just this seed of doubt that has been planted because they're not, they're not from our country. There's just <laughs> this like, bizarre suspicion that it's like, nah, they're going to fucking kill us at some point. Yeah. But as time goes on, you're just like, no, these guys are just pumped about seeing some weirdos in their garden like yeah yeah that's it they just you know and these people were just like wow I, you know you guys are, how the hell did you get out of here that's really funny you know yeah i'll help you out no worries i haven't got anything else to do i'm just an old lady stood on a railway track um what was she bad. doing i i'm not too sure do you reckon I she was trying to stop the train to <laughs> to allow it to slow down enough to get to you she'd nailed yeah. it and been like, right, the car's about four miles that way. It takes four miles to stop, so I'm going to stop him here and then uh, help these guys out. <laughs> yeah, honestly, uh, yeah, Kazakhstan, what a mental place. Um, yeah, I met I met a murderer the first night. He showed me a, a lovely handshake, and like he was super nice. We were hanging out all day, and it was a lot of day drinking. And then it was one of those situations where 
like we we wanted to go back to our hotel room and have some more drinks and it was like we got into the lift and he got in with us and we're all kind of looking at each other and we're like all right is he is he coming into the room and then it was only once he came into the room that he started telling us about his family history and he shot his uncle with a crossbow oh my god and then wouldn't leave our hotel room Oh, oh god yeah only in kazakhstan, <laughs> only in kazakhstan. man that that southern road in kazakhstan is the worst road i've ever experienced um, well yeah I've, yeah I, to be honest with you i've had some great experience in kazakhstan but i've had some really bad experiences in kazakhstan yeah yeah like, yeah this, it's a full-on crazy mad mad place there's um, just nothing like we we did the whole southern route of kazakhstan we went in from russia all the way south, all the way along, and it wasn't until Almaty that we saw a, f- a plant. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. You're like, oh my god, wasn't that a plant? It, yeah, it's it's brutal. Yeah, and the, crazy. Did, did you do the um, Caspian uh, prison prison boat thing? No, I, it's one of those things because I've just heard the stories every single year. That god, I'd l- I just want to try it once. Uh, yeah, I always try and like recommend people to do it yeah especially if i don't like them because i'm like <laughs> you guys are you simply must <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't believe the rooms oh my god <laughs> i can't think of a i can't think of a worse thing to do to be honest with you yeah so yeah, check out the uh, caspian ferry there's the floating prison floating it practically is yeah it's, it's yeah. a horrible horrible experience Shit, man. Well, yeah, you've seen some crazy stuff, and I'm looking forward to seeing how this uh, this Snow Leopard film is, and whatever this mysterious project. <laughs> but I know it isn't with Werner Herzog, but I'm secretly hoping that you are working with Werner Herzog. But and now you've gone quiet, so it definitely is. Um, <laughs> but is there anything that you want to get people to look at? Is there anyone that you know? How can people follow your quests? um just follow me on instagram just get me on hit me up on the gram people when you got 400 followers desperate absolutely desperate and what is it is it it's chris beard dop isn't it that's it yeah chris beard dop yeah just just hit me up on there um send me you know you're looking to get into that kind of this line of work you know send me a few messages always and uh, yeah, so that'll, that'll pretty much update you with what I'm doing. Okay, nice one, man. Well, good luck on your quest in Guyana. I'm excited to see what it is. I am going to try and uh, decipher what it is. Um, but in all honesty, I don't even know where it is. So <laughs> we'll uh, I'll start by having a look on Google Maps. But thanks for coming on, man. It's always an absolute pleasure. And uh, let's have another chat when you get back. And once it's actually released so we can talk about it that would yeah, be that'd yeah. be wicked yeah but yeah thank thanks again brother always a pleasure yeah. and i will see you on the next one thank you very much man it's been awesome cheers brother bye bye bet mgm has an unreal deal for sports fans in virginia turn five dollars into 150 dollars instantly when you place your first wager at bet mgm simply download the bet mgm app and sign up using code champion 150 then 
place a $5 wager on any sport, you'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.